Bill Simmons hosts the most downloaded sports podcast of all time with a rotating crew of celebrities, athletes, media staples, and a slew of other friends and family members who always happen to be available. Check out the Bill Simmons podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors with over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond. eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance and with eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast and the other. It is playoff season. My birdie buddies here on Fairway Roll and the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your slightly horse starter, Joe House. I'm horse from all the yelling at the television from the BMW Championship at Caves Valley. We have a very special guest on today's show to join Nate Dog, our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground. Kevin Van Balkenberg, who really wrote the definitive piece uh, immediately after the tournament was up, uh, ESPN senior writer and native of Baltimore, was at Caves and witnessed something having to do with Bryson DeChambeau that um, needed to, to, to see the light of day. Uh, KVV caught it and wrote about it and wrote a very thoughtful piece. So we're going to pick KVV's thoughts about the Bryson conundrum. Uh, and, you know, there's still one more gigantic money grab event out there for the PGA Tour. 30 professionals competing down at East Lake. Dayton. and I have a few picks and maybe a couple Ryder Cup thoughts as well. Patrick Reed is playing golf this week. Let's get over to the first tee. KVV is waiting for us. It's going to be a three ball. Throwing a peg in the ground right now, my birdie buddies. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right, my birdie buddies, very, very pleased to have today's guest. He's our, our he's he's a new partner to the to the pod. I mean, he's out there with the no laying ups and the shotgun starts. In fact, he gave an immediate reaction on the shotgun start pod um, to the what went down the BMW Championship at Caves Valley, and then he wrote really the um, definitive piece, the definitive wrap up. It went all over the internet's. Uh, on uh, yeah and deservedly so this is kevin van valkenberg senior writer for espn on the show right now what's up kvv thanks what is that you know i want you to know i may go all over i may sleep all over pods all over the world but it'll always be a special place for the fairway rolling boys <laughs> very, very, very kind of you um so you are physically presently in new york at the moment uh attending the u.s open tennis thing because you you're you're you you call it yourself you're a renaissance guy you go right from the golf to to the tennis <laughs> it's being asked if i wanted to cover the u.s open i was like well that seems a little bit early but i would love to go to the u.s open they're like no it's the tennis it's next week i was like oh yeah well i've i played tennis in high school but i haven't thought much about it since so yeah so that's where i am well you stayed up very late last night so we're happy to have you on right now um and you had to have have left immediately after caves because it went uh it it dribbled into prime time so i want to begin with with this there was this very unique thing that doesn't happen with professional golf very often where that playoff between patrick cantley and bryson DeChambeau was the thing in the uh, american sporting uh consciousness like it it was Everybody was watching it at the same time. And that sometimes happens with the majors, although not all the time. But it really was across the board, across casual sports fans. You could see it all over the place. It was a a, 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 a massive thing. And, and the American sporting public was very taken with it. You were physically there. What was the, the sense like on the ground? We're, we're going to go through like your experience over the days, but for the sure. for the playoff it felt very um dramatic on television yeah. it was interesting like the the first few holes of the playoff were really really uh sort of riveting because the all the crowd sort of gathered uh right at 18 and they you know they had to uh play 18 i think three times before they went down to 17 twice but uh and as as the playoff kind of wore on there was people like Oh, like, I don't know if I want to run all the way down to, to 17 again, but I being my uh, the professional that I am, guys, I trudged up and down uh, that hill multiple <laughs> times. And, you know, it was it, Baltimore hasn't had a PGA Tour event in 60 years. And I think a lot of people were really excited just to sort of experience that and wanted to kind of, you know, turn out to, to show I, this, Baltimore is where I live. So this is why I have a little bit of a an affection for the the home crowd even though some of them misbehaved but it was super fun i mean i thought when when can't on the first playoff hole when cantley's uh chip almost went in like the audible like oh was like really kind of fun uh that was where you were just sort of being like wow this is this is a really uh an intense kind of uh, this is exactly what you kind of want from your golf postseason is just the narratives to narrow and to find, you know, two things that you can sort of either be for, you know, two guys to contrast against one another. I'm either for this guy or against this guy or whatever. So that was, that was kind of the scene. But you got to a position at the end of the playoff where you, you clearly had a totally unique view on Bryson and you had a sense clearly an intuition that something was going to happen. You're the only guy who saw this. You're the only guy who wrote about it. What happened between that super positive energy with, with Cantley missing the chip and, you know, Bryson missing that last birdie seven, eight footer that puts you up through the tunnel to see what you saw? Yeah. Well, so it's an interesting little journalism lesson, right? I've, you know, a lot of the reason that I was the only, uh, person who kind of witnessed what went down is because I didn't have like a specific deadline. I write for ESPN.com and I kind of had told my editor like, Hey, let me follow this to the very end and, and make sure that we kind of get as much seen as possible. And so as the playoff went on, various writers had to kind of peel away and, uh, and kind of get up to start writing their stories because they had to file by a specific time. So this is a good uh, example of like 
why newspapers <laughs> maybe sort of a, died a slow death in some ways is because the internet person could always kind of wait it out to the end. But I kind of learned years ago that the really the best time to kind of understand an athlete is once they slip away from where the cameras are and where the kind of outside yes. arena. And, I, you know, a, another journalist taught me once, just, just follow a golfer for as long as you can. Yes. Uh, because you can get, you know, really candid, interesting stuff. And there's, you know, all this, it's not like we're violating any kind of privacy. This is all like space where everyone is allowed to go. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to kind of, I had thought in myself, I knew I was going to write about Bryson at that point, win or lose. And watching him walk up the hill uh, was going to, I thought might be a sort of an interesting story. Like, you know, an interesting final scene for my piece. Like, you know, here's someone who, for better or worse, like tried so hard to win this playoff. I mean, you might not like Bryson, but you have to admire like how much he wants to win. Like he's not thinking like, all right, I'm going to make another $2 million or whatever. He just really cares about winning golf tournaments. And so being kind of dejected in that moment, I thought would make a really interesting scene. And all throughout the weekend, despite what, you know, the TV narrative might've been like the, the chance on the ground that the taunts on the ground were on every hole. He could hear like, great job, Roxy. Yes. And so, you know, I didn't think at that moment that he was going to be uh, sort of jeered at any further because in most part, he's like walking away from all the fans at this point. And he's just but, given his hat to a kid. Yeah. And he, you know, and I think he was, he, I could tell he was mad uh, because he didn't, he didn't want to ride in a cart up the hill. If you've ever been to caves, like it is a steep hill uh, that you have to climb back up to the clubhouse. He wanted to walk up the, that hill and just kind of get out some of his anger. And there was a group of, you know, a couple of PGA tour officials and some security people following him and stuff. And as he kind of got about halfway up this hill that I, I would say is probably a quarter mile at least. Uh, someone kind of leaned across the rope line after he went by and was like, great job, Brooksy. And in that moment, something kind of snapped in Bryson. And I, I totally felt like sympathy towards him. Cause if I had just lost like this epic playoff where I had really, really wanted to win and I kind of didn't, you know, wasn't thrilled about how the other guy was acting and stuff. And, you know, I had wanted to sort of shut up some of the people who had been taunting me all week. And then someone else came along right in my kind of lowest moment and tried to rub it in a little bit more. I might've, reacted poorly too and so but watching him spin around in that moment was like whoa like this could you know and he was angry and you know it, luckily i think he kind of realized like this is not going to end well but you know like jeering at a golf tournament there's there's really no line between where the players are and where the people are and, you, and the thing about in professional sports is like in football and in basketball often like taunting can feel a little bit like white noise. Like it's so, there's so much out there that you don't really ever hear it. Uh, but in golf, because it's sort of naturally this quiet, respectful environment, all of the worst stuff, and not even saying this yeah. is a bad thing, comes, you can hear it. It doesn't have, it doesn't mean like, oh, we have yeah. rabbit. Tigers it, it, look, only... it's, it's the only sport in the world where everyone has a front row seat. The Suns and Four guy didn't sit courtside. The brawls at NFL games don't happen behind the benches. They're up in the rafters. Correct. But those guys have a front row seat. And, and that's where, you know, you've got some portion of the population right now that forgot how to act around people. They've been inside mad online for 18 months, you know, with sort of anonymous Twitter accounts and no consequences. And, and there's still people who are adjusting as human beings to what it means to be human again. That feels like what's missing from the crowd. I, I the, Case Valley's not the only place this has happened, though. No, I mean, we saw the guy jumping on Phil. Yeah, but this is the goes right to the heart of what I want um, to hear KBV's perspective on, which is uh, because I have a sense of what the answer is, but I want the live experience that you just had. It it seems like there's a particular demo that's responsible for the vast majority, if not the entirety of the, you know, sort of heckling and the kind of heckling that we're accustomed to seeing. It's exactly the point you guys are making in other sports, other venues that feels completely out of place in golf. And there is this weird convergence. Uh, and, and, and I'll let you answer the question about the demo. Um, cause I think it's a demo that's really important to television, to advertisers. It's a, it's a, a, a highly desirable, demo that's perhaps most responsible for behavior that feels out of order in a professional golf setting. Um, what was your experience? 
Well, the long answer house is like golf has tried really hard in the last few years to capture this sort of younger crowd. Like they have said, all right, here's the, here's a kind of group of people that we think are, are super passionate. They're, they're really into sports. They might've been into all kinds of other sports before. If we can capture those people, that'll be great for the game. We're going to grow the game. And so these marketing people who kind of thought, you know, they told the sort of CEOs, like, here's a group of, you know, fans that we can capture. And so they've been pretty successful in bringing a lot of those people in. But a lot of those people came from other sports where this kind of behavior is like totally acceptable or they live their lives online where like kind of, you know, needling people is just all part of the daily lives. It's for sport. They don't see anything wrong with it. And this is why I in like describing this in the piece. To me, it, it really plays out almost like Twitter in real life, because these people are sort of saying, what am I doing this disrespectful? I'm just saying another player's name. I'm not violating any sort of ethical thing. I'm just doing it over and over and over again. So if you like had a Twitter account and somebody was like every day was like, Hey Keith, Hey Keith, what's up? Hey Keith. Hey Keith. That's like, Hey Keith. Like people say that to me all the time because they like Van Valkenburg, they somehow like their brain melts into Keith Van Horn, I think. And so I, every, if someone did that constantly to you, it would be kind of annoying, but they would be like, what? I'm just calling you a name. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying F you Keith. And I think it's that kind of mentality that's sort of taken over a lot of society where people know how to get under your skin without violating the terms of service, <laughs> essentially, that would get them kicked yeah. off the platform. And so that's what that demo has come to golf. And I, I think just sort of mulling it in the sense of it's a kind of surreal ethical dilemma, right? Because can you really tell someone like, oh, you can't yell Brooks Kepka's name around. I mean, that's what Monaghan did today. Yeah. And so yeah, I think, you know, he, I think after what I witnessed the PGA tour and I got it, I knew in that moment, I was like, this is going to be a deal. Cause we've been building to this for a while. And, yeah. And if you've got Bryce kind of almost snapping and going up against the rope line, you know, it's going to be a thing that's going to be a lot of people are going to want to comment about it. And that's, you know, if you looked at my Twitter account, like that was a hundred percent true. It just kind of exploded with people pretty, you know, strongly on both sides of it. So I don't know what like the answer is. I think golf. Yeah. That, that's what I'm interested in. Like, I want to hear your thoughts on solutions on this. Sure. Golf just can't stay like an old man's kind of sport forever. And it needed, you know, I think it needed to sort of figure out ways to kind of market it to a different audience, but it didn't really like think that it had to kind of like educate the how to sort of you know act and that sounds really stuffy and sounds really shitty for me to even say it coming out like you need to learn how to behave when you're at a golf tournament but there is a certain kind of like if you grow up with golf there's a little bit of a decorum that's like understood like don't yell in someone's backswing don't don't do all this it's, stuff and so, yeah i don't, don't want to interrupt I, I want you to keep going but harry higgs himself said this is not how he's in the demo he's the demo we're talking about we're talking about young guys mainly young white guys, which is fine. Right. But then that's the, the desirable demo. That's the market share that, that golf definitely wants to grab. And Harry said, this behavior is out of order. It's yeah. not fair. It's not how we were raised. But I think that's precisely the point. Yeah. Most of us ha haven't been raised that way inside the insular competitive golf world where there's a, a, a type of etiquette, a type of behavior a whole sort of course of action that's that's acceptable that's out of step with the rest of like American sports. And if you yeah, if you grew up as a basketball fan or or a, a football fan, and you have to think this this debate is kind of hilarious, right? Like right. seriously, you're you're this pearl clutching that's going on about you can't yell another player's name. Are you kidding me? But like within golf, it is sort of a thing because I, I my larger point is like okay, let's put aside like whether like you can actually kick fans out for saying something that is not a swear word, saying something that all it does is sort of get under someone's skin. It's like, what are we, what's the end game here? Is it like Bryson actually snaps and punches a fan? Because I do think everybody who's around the world of golf right now thinks that he is kind close. of being close to like really not being able to handle this well. And I, I yeah. think my sort of, larger point in kind of writing this column is that like i don't know that bryson has 
done a lot to deserve our empathy or our sympathy. Like he said some really stupid things about vaccines or like, you know, throwing a tantrum about his own equipment and blaming them for the fact that he can't swing 140 miles an hour on every swing and have it go straight. And he turns a lot of people off through his own actions. But I think that if you think about Bryson through the lens of like, what if Bryson is our Mo Norman, right? What if Bryson just has the kind of thing that makes him not really grasp social situations very well, right? And and the certainly like the spectrum of like where you sit on the, like in the mental health stuff or how you kind of understand how to deal with like social interactions is a pretty wide and interesting one. And so where does like your kind of dickish behavior begin and where does like the person who you are dealing with anxiety and dealing with, you know, mental health stuff, where does that start? Where does it, you know, the, the two, they have to cross over in some ways. And so it's the Bubba thing. We just lived yeah. through it with Bubba Watson, right? He right. was really the precursor to this. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, but I'm just, I kind of wanted to ask the question of like, you know, at some point, is it fun then to sort of continue to belittle someone to the point where they break? And if we're going to have this sort of larger conversation about it's okay for athletes to talk about what's bothering them, what the, you know, they have a hard time dealing with this stuff like it, you know, just because Naomi Osaka is, you know, likable and that we kind of wanted to sort of support her and Simone Biles in their kind of mental health stuff. I don't think Bryson has the like self-awareness to be able to talk about some of this stuff, but I don't want to like hold it against him necessarily yeah. because he doesn't have those kind of no. self-awareness things. Like I, just as an observer and I'm talking to people within the world of golf, I can see how much he's struggling with. He doesn't understand why people are turned off by some of his behaviors. He thought he was going to be really liked once he found success. And when that doesn't happen for an athlete, it's like kind of this unsettling thing. And so I don't, when you, I'm often kind of the person who, when you write something, I don't know that it's, it's, helpful to come up with a definitive like you should behave this way i'm not saying anyone should be a fan of bryson but it's okay you don't you can extend empathy to someone without you know feeling like they deserve it you can sort of say like all right look i don't like bryson but i don't want to see him like belittled to the point where he's gonna punch a fan yeah you know so that's that's just why it's just kind of like a thought experiment in some ways it's like let's kind of reconsider this as we sort of move forward and maybe look maybe the answer is he just needs to learn how to deal with this with a therapist or with, you know, shutting out the world. But like, just because Tiger could shut everything out and sort of, you know, we're talking about one of the greatest athletes in this, you know, this century in Tiger Woods, who was able to have such specific tunnel vision that he, people would ask him, Oh, did you hear that or whatever? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. All I was thinking about the next thing. Well, that's not Bryson, but that doesn't mean like it's okay to sort of always default to like let's get this guy and i think too there's a larger ethical like dilemma here of like if the tour is going to embrace gambling and a lot of people are going to say like yeah i'm betting on patrick cantley and in order to get like help out patrick cantley win me some money i'm gonna needle bryson to the point where he can't handle this yeah and you know i that's a kind of a hard thing especially in golf where they're talking about like real-time betting like if you if you bet on patrick cantley and then you're saying, you know, Brooksy, as Bryson's getting over the ball, are you interfering with, you know, the the sort of larger field of play? I don't know. It's an interesting answer, right? Yeah, it, it, it's something that we're going to be dealing with, especially as as the gambling uh, begins to roll through the sport. I, my question, I, I, you did a really good job of conjuring up that empathy, but I do just want to ask: Do you think Bryson's capable of any adjustment here? I mean, this is now three big tournaments that he's blown where he really was in position to win. And, and you know, his entire approach to the game is like, if I do the scientific thing, the outcome is controllable and predictable, which of course in theory is true, but he skips the step, which is that he isn't doing it perfectly every time his execution isn't great. So there's variability in the outcome. And, and instead of owning that he didn't execute properly, he's blaming luck and the outcome, which is really this sort of victim mentality. He's not taking ownership of the way that he failed. And that is the face that he makes when he misses the putt. It's the scream on the green that is turning some people off. It's this cognitive dissonance, right? That the world is sort of conspiring against him. Do, Do you think he's capable of, 
I mean, I, KBV, did you see that video he put out during the week of the Byron Nelson, which was sort of goofy, but gave us some really interesting insight. He was struggling, right? I think two of the next three tournaments after that, he shot 77 on Sunday at the PGA and the US Open to lose those tournaments. But he was he gave us a little bit of insight. It made me hopeful that he was capable of it. Is he capable of it? Because you told these anecdotes of this sweet guy who invited you into his home and really wanted to be known. Have, have we just beaten him to a point where he's not capable of that? I think what's hard is that, you know, a lot of times when professional golfers start to become like these money-making machines, that they have this whole sort of collection of people around them whose job it is just to keep the money machine moving forward. And so there isn't a lot of like step back and, you know, introspection here. Like, hey, Bryson, like it would be helpful if you saw you know, uh, a mental coach, you know, you could sort of figure out to deal with this. They're just like, Hey man, let's get you to the next tournament. Like you, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Like you're good. You're good, man. You, you don't want to sweat it. And I think it's not always, um, particularly helpful for the long-term health of the player. I think that was probably, I know from covering Michael Phelps that that was true. And Michael Phelps, if he were here, would tell you exactly the same thing. And I think it's probably true of tiger. Like a lot of times, like it just they're like asked to be like a shark and just keep swimming forward and not ever it's bad, start bad for the brand if you stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that if if it is sort of going to happen, it would have to be Bryson's agent or someone in his family or you know I don't know you know who his like close friends are, but, but you know when you're seeing like him his caddy getting fed up and just kind of essentially leaving, and then it gets painted as like a mutual decision. It's hard, like, because I think Tim was probably one of the few people who was willing to stand up to yeah. him and say, like, hey, you know, I'm not going to do this. You're not behaving in the, you know, the right way. They would get into it a little bit and stuff. And so if you surround yourself constantly by enablers, there's no room for, like, self-reflection because nobody wants to be the person to say, like, whoa, let's kind of step back and, like, you know, prioritize something other than the brand or the money here. And that's... I don't, you know, when he's talking about, I don't, I don't know that I want to do media things because it hurts my brand. That's somebody in, that's not Bryson thinking that yeah. up, but someone yeah. in his ear being like, you know, this isn't helpful to us. There's no reason that you, you know, and it, it's someone who can't see whether it's his agent can't see the larger picture too. Like he could have diffused this vaccine stuff so easily and just been like, even if someone just worked with him, gave him some kind of talking points and be like, Hey, look, this is my personal decision. I get it that some people disagree. I don't feel like I express myself clearly and I'm probably not going to talk about it going further, but I, I'm sorry that there was like some confusion about it. You know, I hope that, you know, we can just all kind of move forward on it. Yeah. Sometimes it baffles me. I think like PR could be so easy if designed <laughs> with those kind of things, because it is, especially if you work in media, people are, there's, there's so many media people who don't like, they're not really coveting controversy. There are a few, but most of them just like want to kind of like, get some resolution to the sort of controversial thing that the athlete said. So if he, Bryson did that, it would probably go away fairly quickly, but then you get into the larger context of like, what is media is like, is this podcast media is ESPN media is, is people posting on Twitter media. A lot of times athletes can't discern between the, the difference between them all. And so that all they're like, Oh, you guys are so you media people are so harsh to me when what they yeah. really mean is a bunch of people aggregated what was said off of an ESPN story, put it on Twitter and then, said, ah, this is why Bryson sucks. And somehow he sees that and then he thinks like, well, that's Kevin Van Valkenburg's fault. Yeah, so, yeah. But- He's intelligent though. He knows something's wrong. I mean, I think it's manifesting itself in these chipping yips. That's just his mind acting out Maybe. because he knows there's some inconsistency. Well, I, I um, want to quibble with the, one of the things that you said, Nate, in sort of setting this up because... Uh, I'm extremely fascinated to see what happens this week. And I'm interested in, in Kevin's take. I don't think that Bryson blew this golf tournament. Bryson shot the same score as Patrick Cantlay on Sunday. They both were trying to win the golf tournament. They both had uh, opportunities. I mean, you know, we didn't say that Cantlay choked when he hit the ball in the water on 17. He hit the fucking ball in the water with two holes to go you know, a, a stroke down that, that was, that is not a pressure performance because he can't but chip. That's right. That's a, and also it literally was bad luck that the short shot that he hit 
It was short. It spun into the rough and it didn't spin into like first cut rough. What was sitting there just off the green was very thick stuff. So, I mean, definitely like his, his, his instinct to, to look at, you know, the, the, the great forces out there, the golf gods sort of working against him. Uh, he hit the hole with a couple of those putts that he put. He hit the ball too hard, which is why it didn't fall in on the line that he hit it, but not, he didn't, he wasn't screaming by, he hit the hole and it hit the hole and, and bounced out. But all, all the, the point that I'm, I want to draw a distinction between what we saw out of Bryson on Sundays leading up to this past Sunday, his performances at the U.S. Open, the PGA Championship, the WGC down in Memphis, the the players. There are a bunch of bad scores on the back nines this calendar year for Bryson. This that was not the them. case. No. So yeah. he played great golf. He played nearly his best golf. He played against a competitor who did something literally unprecedented. No player since this metric has been uh, uh, developed has ever putted better than Patrick Cantlay in a single round of golf as compared to, to his peers. And so th yeah. that's something that I would hope that Bryson would take some, some comfort from. KBV, what are you anticipating after all of this yeah. out of Bryson this week down in, in Eastlake? So one thing that I think about Bryson's style of play and what he's figured out is – you know, I, I actually sometimes think that it maybe, uh, maybe certainly we make too much of the science stuff. Like he, I tweeted something once about like, maybe what we need to realize is like that some of the science stuff is sort of a smokescreen and what Bryson is, is just a really good golfer and someone who knows him well and like had been around him, not really friends with him, sent me a, a note that was like, you got that exactly right. Like the science stuff is kind of nonsense. He's just really good at golf. And what he is really good at in golf is the things that the PGA tour rewards. So like he's really good at getting it close to the hole and he's figured out how to be really good at putting and he's kind of okay at some of the other things, you know, he's, he's, an, his approach is not, you know, up there. He's not like one of the best iron players in the game, but he has shorter irons into greens. And so his variance is, you know, the whole, the, the sort of, I guess, shot cone, as we'd say, like where he could land the ball is much smaller than some of the others, but he's always hitting nine iron or whatever. And so I think that what's probably going to happen at Eastlake is that he'll be in the mix because his style of play, even though Eastlake kind of makes it harder for you to pound driver down there, he's going to, it's like someone who understands the odds in blackjack, right? He's always going to play the right card in terms of like, I, all I, I know I'm not going to win every time. In fact, I'm probably going to sometimes be sitting on 19 and I'm going to, you know, lose because the dealer gets a face card. But over the course of time, my skills are going to give me a slight advantage. And so what I think we're seeing with like the, the summer is like, yeah, he's not always going to close out things. Some of that might be mental. Some of that might simply be like he's not a particularly good chipper. And so when it isn't days, when it isn't perfect, it's not going to work out. But he's going to give himself more chances than anyone. And you know who was like that it was Tiger. Like Tiger just so, so told himself, "What I need to do every week is just give myself enough chances to be around the lead." And that was Nicholas's mentality too. The reason why Nicholas finished second eighteen times is because he was like, "Well, I might not win every time, but I'm going to be so good at, at over the broad spectrum of my game that I'm going to give myself chances." And I think that that's kind of what Bryson has figured out. It's like, would you rather be Bryson and have a ton of chances all the time and maybe win? twice or would you rather be like cam champ and basically be like at the bottom of the the leaderboard every third week when you just don't have it but two weeks a year you are absolutely lights out you know that that was rory for a long time and rory's kind of figured out how to kind of narrow the the gap between his best and his worst and he's he's in the mix a lot but you know he might not win as much as you know some of the other guys and so what Bryson's best is sure. That's as good. And what his worst is he's, you know, that's, it's a little bit, John Rama's similar. It's, it's hard to find Bryson like that far down the leaderboard on the, the weeks when he doesn't have it. So, yeah, I think that there's a good chance, like he'll be in the mix at Eastlake and whether he wins or not, may, does it have to do with like the mental stuff or does it have to do with the fact that like he just, some of the areas of his game aren't as strong overall, but He's really good at some aspects of the game. And so certain courses are going to absolutely set up for him. 
Okay, so if Bryson doesn't win, this is the tour championship. I mean, think about this, KVV. Mm -hmm. The the PGA Tour for 15 years has, you know, been striving to have relevant golf moment. They got themselves into, into August. They finally got the thing this most recent Sunday uh, where they had two of the very best players in the world on at prime time. I mean, you know, it only took 15 years to get it right. Kudos guys. But now, uh, you know, the, 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 the tour championship also on a weekend, just college football, which I don't mean to minimize college football. I know how important that is to most of, of America, but, um, folks will also have some eyes on, on, on golf and you know, it, it's a good thing that, that, that it'll wrap up Sunday afternoon. So not a ton of competition. Um, for the for the tour championship, uh, do you think they're happy with with where, where things stand? I think so. I think you know I, we were kind of uh, I was sort of I don't know like tweaking the tour a little bit, but sort of asking the question this week of like is the playoffs are the playoffs too easy? I mean, these guys are shooting. You know, this is the lowest score in the whole um, the, the on tour this year twenty seven yeah. under, and it was better than Byron Nelson and better than Kapalua, which has five par fives and is a par seventy three. So like this was pretty easy setup. And I was kind of asking the question, like, you know, the, aren't the playoffs supposed to get a little bit harder, but I think honestly that the tour got exactly what they wanted in that they got a birdie fest. They got a shootout between, you know, two contrasting young dynamic players who were going to be on the Ryder cup team. And so, you know, what would their ultimate fantasy be this week to sort of close it out at East Lake? Like, I don't think it's 27 under, but it would be like Rory or, and Bryson in the final group or, Brooks and Bryson, you know, even though that would be an absolute circus. I mean, I, I do think it's interesting to think about this is our probably our best chance all year to get Brooks and Bryson in the same pairing because they reshuffle after every round uh, right. at, at Eastlake. And so if by chance, like the the numbers pop all of a sudden and they are the two things align, that will be like a huge story, especially considering what happened last week. Everyone would be tuning in to sort of watch the two of them and then their non sort of interactions with each other or whatever. And so and as much yeah. as they think they could kick out people for saying Brooksy, like if, if the two of them were paired together, you know, what are you going to do if there's 300 people together chanting it? Uh, are you going to, you know, get a, a riot squad and drag them all out of East Lake? Like, I don't think that's going to work. Amazing. The, the most fun part of this, of this event though, on the last day is watching the guys competing for sixth through second putting for literally a million dollars. Is the tour comfortable embracing the money? Because it would be so great if the announcers would go, here's a putt for $1.5 million. I think they're getting there for sure. I think that the, the, um, whatever hangups there are about, uh, the money stuff is going away and you're seeing PGL. (laughs) Yeah. And you're seeing like, you know, Azinger brings it up a lot. Uh, oh God, he just cost himself four hundred thousand dollars. What a what a thing! <laughs> it's a pressure. It's what a pressure! pressure. It's like, a pressure. Got to stand over this putt thing. This is the most money I ever made in my whole life. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, KVV, uh, I love what you dropped out there. I mean, Brooks and Bryce is just piece, too man. too much to to root for, but but wonderful piece. I'm talking about for for Sunday, but wonderful piece capturing. Um, what happened at, at caves and, you know, helping everybody to just give maybe a second thought around how we're, we're handling uh, the, the ongoing Bryson um, conundrum, I guess is the, the word for it. I mean, it's the word I'll use for you it. You did ask how, how did it compare to the Preakness? And as I've been to a lot of Preaknesses and I will say the Preakness is sort of like the fall of Rome. Like <laughs> there was, yeah. I saw some of the worst things that the humanity has produced <laughs> during the Preakness. So what happened in caves didn't quite get there, but okay. in terms of like the running of the porta potties and like people, you know, oh. doing all kinds of, I mean, I've, I used to write the like infield color piece for the Baltimore sun. And I, I'm still like need to bleach my eyeballs for some of the things. Woodstock that 99. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, well, uh, I'm glad to hear that what the state of Maryland is behaving better. It was better than the Preakness. That's what we will say. Like low bar to clear, but yeah. yeah. We did it, Maryland. <laughs> we, we did it, Maryland. All right. Kevin Mavakaberg, senior writer for ESPN. Always welcome on this podcast. And uh, 
we'll be looking for your stuff from the U.S. Open. I can't wait to see. Make sure at least some of it includes the U.S. Open tennis has a reputation for the very best food mm. of the concessions there. They they go they're very deliberate at least in years past. So I'm hoping you're able to sample some of that and let's read I about had, a little bit. Of that. I had like a Tom Caliccio uh, steak sandwich last see? night. See, see, right. that's what I'm talking. Now we're about. talking. Yeah, yeah, now we're talking. All right, KVV. Thank you, brother. You bet. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, big thanks to KVV as always. What a charming fellow. Speaking of charming fellows, Nate Dog, the Ryder Cup, is right around the corner and each week we get a little bit closer to having a perspective on the u.s team i mean it feels like we know 11 out of the 12 we have real certainty around 11 out of the 12 patrick reed's announcement today we're taping this on uh the tuesday of the tour championship week that he intends to try and give the tour championship a go is a little bit of a game changer. I wasn't anticipating him trying to play any golf. Um, what are your thoughts on Mr. Patrick Reed, Captain America? Well, it's annoying that some people in the press are talking, are parroting the health things that uh, were put out on his public accounts. Cause I think there's a deeper story there that for some reason uh, people aren't talking about. I mean, what he texted or tweeted out today was, I'm going to give it a go. And he was road tripping to the tour championship, which is interesting. What do you mean? Uh, What's that mean? What's road tripping mean? Well, he lives in the Houston area, so I'm not sure why he wouldn't be flying. Oh, you're saying he's going to get in a van or a vehicle and, and be. Yeah. Which, which suggests that either, you know, his upper respiratory stuff is not all the way there yet. And so it was recommended that he not fly. Or maybe he still has some level of, you know, uh, contagious uh, that that you know he's concerned about. Although he's he's traveling with his his caddy, so I, I don't know exactly. He's clearly not full strength. Uh, th- there is a lot of money on the line, house. So you and I would get out of bed uh, if all we had to do was shoot, you know, a, a six thousand, and we were going to get paid three hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. But as it relates to the Ryder Cup. Certainly, a lot of the chatter over the last week has been assuming that Patrick Reed is out. We, we've been and, assuming it since, right? since the announcement of his diagnosis. But I think if he comes in and plays decently well in the Tour Championship, it's going to give Stricker a lot to think about. Because it, really, we had assumed Patrick Reed was in uh, starting at the Wyndham when he sort of mysteriously withdrew. And then the Northern Trust, when he mysteriously withdrew, and we started to get a sense for just what was happening before the BMW, you know, there was still a sense that the reason he was withdrawing was because he'd had that quiet, private conversation with Stricker, who told him to get his rest as opposed to playing those tournaments. Now I think all bets are off because that last spot, really, if we think about it, I mean, Patrick Reed's ahead of Daniel Berger in the FedEx Cup qualifying points, just barely, but he is. So if Reed is out, we last week we were arguing over is it Webb or is it Scheffler for that last spot. I, I don't know that 
either of those two guys made a strong case over the last two weeks to, to go take that spot. So Patrick comes into the tour championship, moves up from basically DFL, uh, you know, it, it, competing against some of these other guys. It's going to be hard for Stricker to say no, don't you think? I, um, yes, <laughs> is the answer because he has both the experience that this team could, could really use. Um, but he also, in a very peculiar way to me, satisfies some of the chemistry challenge, challenges, plural, chemistry challenges. And one of the things that you and I are going to try and do today, it's still too early. We're still, you know, three weeks out from uh, the, the, the beginning of the event. But I want to try and think a little bit about what these pairings might look like. But if Patrick is on the team, if he plays competent golf this week, he has, by points and by uh, experience, the right to play on this team. And another sort of, I guess I'll call it volatile personality. I don't know. Um, volatile maybe isn't the right word. W what, what kind of character, what would we say about Patrick's personality, if we're being generous? He's chafing. <laughs> He's aloof. Aloof. So if you're trying to think about a team that already has weird chemistry vibes, um, we imagined that Patrick Patrick's illness was, uh, you know, doing Stricker the favor of not having to solve for Patrick and Spieth being on the same team again. But I think that Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth, thing is like the the least of all of the chemistry concerns um with this team at, yeah at this point so if yeah. what what if you know patrick plays well this week at the tour championship and by the way we'll know i think uh thursday morning if if the reason that he's driving there is because they told him if you want the 395,000 is it 395 or 495 whatever it is if you want the 395 for 30th place, you need to show up. Um, and he shows yes. up and plays nine holes and withdraws. Uh, then we'll know um, that, you know, that that tells us kind of all we need to know, which I and I won't discount that. I don't I'm not going to say that there's a high likelihood that that's going to happen, but I wouldn't discount it. Like you, what you just said a couple minutes ago, you and I would get out of bed for three hundred ninety five thousand dollars and and. Yeah, although I think it's going to raise a huge stink. I think he's out of the Ryder Cup if he shows up and withdraws I agree. from this tournament. I agree with you. That's right. But yeah. if he plays yeah. four rounds and he's competent enough, then I think by virtue of the point system and by virtue of his experience, he, he has to be in um, as long as he says that he's physically able to play. Do you disagree? No, I mean, let me give you the counterpoint here. The Data Golf guys tweeted out some great stats in preparation for Whistling Straits that basically said, by the way, it's not going to be too different from the Tour Championship this week, that basically said Whistling Straits is about shots gained off the tee. And Patrick Reed currently sits 105th in shots gained off the tee. This is not his forte. And yes, he's got great short game, but He's got to win matches and he's got to get there to be able to use his short game. And there are, you know, the other candidates who are lined up to take this spot are ahead of him in that category. So I, I, I think you could make a case that the course fit is not perfect for Patrick Reed. But, but I think we're in this weird situation where we'd written him off. And at this point, Stricker's got to take him if he shows up and plays well at the Tour Championship. He's earned it. That's it. You and I are in agreement on, on that point. I would like to see Scotty Scheffler um, uh, out of, you know, the, the, those candidates to fill it out. 17th and shots gained off the tee, buddy. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I just think I like the, the whole identity of this team with the I think the lack of, of experience, lack of Ryder Cup experience across this this team is kind of a helpful factor. Um you know, it, it, it allows this team to define itself um, slightly differently from from teams of the past. These guys don't have baggage uh, of of past U.S. teams. And it's a super fascinating. They have baggage. They well, just don't have the right. They don't. Cup. 
they don't hemorrhage. have yeah loser rider cup baggage um yeah. and it'll be a fascinating exercise in you know um the the ability the unique ability of professional golfers to silo themselves um and go perform notwithstanding the team chemistry thing like we keep coming back i've already uh advanced the idea that the european team continues to beat our ass with regularity because they have chemistry but may, maybe this the you know the, the current iteration of these guys the 12 that we have lined up here um that's not a, a crucial element one, one thing i want to ask you about um and i this this will come clear over the next three weeks have we heard anything about alternates for this team so th th because of the COVID situation, because of COVID, you right. You, we can't have somebody diagnosed as positive, come down with a positive test on, on Tuesday or Wednesday and forfeit uh, a point in singles because that player can't play. Well, so as of a few weeks ago, we know that this was heavily under discussion between Padraig and Stricker and the governing bodies. I mean, look, the, the, the USGA had substitutes available during the Walker Cup in May at Seminole, uh, but they haven't made a formal decision yet on, you know, if somebody gets sick, is the match halved? Is it forfeited? Are we going to have an alternate? So that's something that really, I think, once the spotlight moves off of who's going to win the $15 million FedEx to squarely on on the Ryder Cup, they're going to have to come forward and, and make some determination here. And, and I think, interestingly, that, you know, potentially Patrick Reed's situation is going to influence how they think about this because, um, uh, you know, they've been asking the guys who's vaccinated to take sort of a survey. Um, and, and now it's very clear that anybody who's not vaccinated and, you know, with a very small chance, Somebody who is vaccinated could contract this thing, and they've got to have a backup plan in place. They just haven't settled on how they're going to handle it. My gut says that it, that they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna forfeit an event. If no, I think so. If no. somebody can't play, they're gonna That's forfeit. That's so dumb. Just get yeah. two alternates. How hard is that? Yeah. Why? That, what's yeah. what's the disinclination to have two alternates? Why would you not have two alternates? For each side, I, I look. I think that's what they ought to do. What I mean, I, I think that's what they ought to do. But then it sort of get, builds this speculation of like, okay, I'm not playing, but I'm sort of sitting there in the wings. Like, so what? I don't I mean, know. They, they cut Cam Newton right away because Cam didn't want to sit there and be back up. <laughs> you're you're talking about the most ruthless leader of of men on the planet, Bill Belichick. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, look for for Stricker. It's a way to involve Mickelson uh, with sort of that sort of outside chance scenario with an honorary thing that's maybe even bigger than uh, you, you know, don't than think being a vice captain. He's oh okay because I I would say he's going to get a vice captain. Uh, I, I think he would, but maybe he tabs a couple of those guys. I think they've already talked about it. Um, yeah, it does take the pressure off of you know what the 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 read problem if you have alternates in there. But I think there's something special about that experience. Don't you think there's something I, special yes, about the honor of being yes. named and the pictures with the with the wives or Ricky Fowler who had nobody at that point making the yeah, I don't know, shrug face. Like there's something special about the experience that I think they're probably loath to extend I to more than just the people. I don't think it's undermined uh, at all by having a contingent plan a contingency plan. It's more important to me and I think to the history and legacy of this purely t for television exhibition <laughs> made for made for TV exhibition event. Yeah, that they don't that, fuck it up. That they they compete all the matches the way they're supposed to be competed. Like just, you know, yeah. they I, I guess it's been fortunate that we haven't had anybody that's had to bow out due to injury. I mean, that's worth taking a look at if we want some historical precedent for how it might be handled. But, you know, we want. 12 singles matches on Sunday and we want all of the four balls and the four sums to get, get competed. It matters for the records. It matters for, you know, historical significance. Um, and if the only way to ensure that all the matches are competed is to have enough human beings to compete them, then that seems like a solvable problem or a solution. Let's hope that they come to that. I think the more interesting thing 
is what's going to happen at this tour championship with Patrick Reed because it now clearly is going to dictate who actually is on the real team, whether or not we have alternates or not. And so that, along with a few other interesting storylines, is why we got to spend some time on this tour championship. Okay, let's do it. Um, I, as is my way, have begun examining it from the perspective of trying to come up with a winning wager. There are... yeah three ways to play this you can try and and you know bet on the winner of the fedex cup and it seems like you know in the the top five guys are are about you know all you want to do and the odds all stink i'm more interested in the 72 hole lowest score competition um yes. and, and fanduel has odds for that across the board and then i also like the head-to-head matchups because that's just super fun like trying to pick like you know i don't We'll have to see whether or not they give odds. I haven't seen odds yet showing um, matchups that feature uh, uh, Patrick Reed, but you know that that if they do give odds on it, it'll be uh, you know you have to pay a whole ton to go against them. Yeah, well that 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 would be interesting. I mean, I I think there are like you, you said it. There's just a few competitions here. The first is who's going to win this fifteen million dollars, and you look at the top of the board and it's kind of hard. I mean, Cam Smith is at five under, but I'm still stinging from what I saw at the Northern Trust and remembering that, you know, he's got wins in New Orleans that was a team event. That's not taking anything away, but when you look at Cantlay, Finau, Bryson, and Rom all at the top, it's really hard to see anybody else winning. I went back and looked at, in particular, how the three guys at the top have performed after they win or after they second place. And Cantlay, just this year, he won at Zozo. He followed up with a T-17 at the Masters. He was second at Amex. The next week, he was T-3 at AT&T, won the Memorial. Then he had good, you know, high teen finishes at the U.S. Open in Hartford. Finau, we know he's top 10 Tony. He fourth at Amex. He followed it with a T-2 at Farmers and a second at Genesis. He followed by 14th at Concession. Bryson, you know, he hasn't places. He's either one, he's been a little more schizophrenic, but if you go back to 2020, he went T5 at Genesis, second at WGC Mexico, fourth at API. So my point is these guys, these three guys at the top, they all have a track record of finding form and holding it consistently after both winning and finishing second. So I don't know that we're going to see a letdown from those guys. You just have to insert Rom into the conversation because if I told you that Rom was only four back in any fucking tournament where he could win $15 million, where he has been the best player over the past, call it three months, you got to assume he can make that up on anybody uh, over four rounds of golf. I just don't know that anybody else can win this FedEx Cup. Do you think? No. And to your point, and I'm glad that you just went through um, that very sound analysis. I've already bet John Rahm at plus 380 to win this this event. Well, I mean, here's that, the other reason why you should feel good about that. Okay. And this comes straight from our boy, Jay Ray. Since 2010, tour championship winners have averaged more strokes gained off the tee per round than strokes gained approach. And three of the five uh, last winners at Eastlake led the field in shots gained off the tee. Now, that is a story that will suggest Bryson, and we'll talk about him in a second. But other than Bryson, when you say who are the leaders in shots gained off the tee, guess who's number two? It's John Rump. Yeah. So, so th- that's the sort of top of the leaderboard. What's equally interesting to me this week, House, is this little tournament for what's underneath, you know, spots one through four. And that's because fucking fifth place is $2.5 million. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Patrick Reed's only starting out with $395,000 in last place. I mean, just to be clear, the gap there is as much as you win when you win the Masters. The winner of the Masters makes $2 bucks. So yeah. these guys, from a purse standpoint, have a shitload to play for. And that, to me, is where you look at Rory at two under. You know, Xander yes. at two under, who last year won the low strokes competition. He shot 15 under, right? So non-handicapped, he won the tournament last year. Yeah, I don't know that you can go much, much below those numbers, but those guys, could they get up and, and at two under make up three shots on Cam fucking Smith because they literally win an extra $2 million? You can definitely see that. I think that's probably the most interesting part of this tournament this week. So those are the guys 
for sure on the 72 hole lowest score odds. Rory and, and Xander are, are the two most interesting to me. Rory at 10 to one Xander at, at 12 to one. I'm playing um, both of those guys. And then I, the point that you just made about, you know, guys jumping spots um, by going low, this is another event, just like caves last week, a, a, a go for broke, try and make as many birdies as possible. Now this golf course is not a pushover like right. uh cave Valley proved oh, to be God. Now look, it, it, it produced as, as discussed with KVV, it produced, you know, one of the most dramatic conclusions that we've had outside of a major in, in, you know, quite some time. So, uh, and it was, it's a, it's a lovely story as to why caves, um, hosted that event. It'll never host another PGA tour event. And that's <laughs> no fine. Chance. No that's chance. totally, that's totally fine. Um, but I do like, you know, doing some of the the, the research. Scotty Scheffler sitting there at twenty mm-hmm. to one had a good a, year last year. Had a on good year course. on this golf course. Shot in the sixties, three out of the four rounds, and had the lowest score on Sunday. He mm-hmm. shot a five under sixty five, and that for Scotty Scheffler got him to fifth place in this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's a guy that loves Bermuda. Another guy that loves Bermuda, Sung J M. A guy who was right there on that leaderboard for a little while before it just became a two-man race between Bryson and and uh, uh, Patrick. It was exciting um, seeing mm-hmm. Sunjay get out there and you know try and hustle up a little bit. I, I sprinkled a little on him as an outsider who who might you know go grab last week's um, tournament, but uh, he's another guy puts his ass off on on Bermuda and Paris English. I'm not going to bet him for the purposes of the 72 uh, hole lowest score because he can't string four rounds together. Um, but I do like him as like, you know, a, a top five, top 10 kind of play. Um, another guy super comfortable on Bermuda seems to play par 70 golf course as well for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, but but that those are the kind of things I'm looking at. I, I don't mind your Sungjae sprinkle. He's 15th in shots gained off the tee. So, I mean, this is a guy who can do it. You know who's third in shots gained off the tee? Sergio Garcia house. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, want to sure. bet it. I, I don't want to <laughs> bet it. But like, look, the difference between 30th and 20th is like $110,000. Difference between 20th and 10th is like $325,000. Those aren't the big jumps. Yeah. But the difference between 10th and 6th is over a million dollars. Between 8th and 5th is like a million four. And so th- those guys who can hit it big are going to make a run. If you're at one under or, or two under, you are in the running for two and a half million dollars, no doubt. And so I, I don't mind the Sung Jay. Uh, you got to look at momentum from last week, right? Sam Burns, you'd say, okay, Sa- Sam was playing well. You'd love to bet him this week. He's only 45th in shots gained off the tee. Sung Jay played great last week and, you know, fi- finished third and, and he can hit that ball uh, in ways that gain him strokes on the field. So I, I, I do like that bet. Um, I'll tell you, the, the guys that I don't like this week, Let's I don't like EVR. EVR okay. is going to run out of... I, he's, I, I, we've loved EVR on this pot. We've been talking about him forever. I, I watched him play. You, you have. In, you've, you've been in, really on him. And look, I watched him play in Tahoe. I watched him win in Tahoe. I, I just The guy's been on a mad heater. You got to believe at some point he catches his breath and says, whoa, look what I'm doing. I wouldn't expect him to make a huge run up the board. Uh, and, and, you know, I think uh, where, how did Billy Horschel make the tour championship? Do you know? He, he just hangs around. He's like, we, we gave, uh, we give Tony, a, a, a hard time, top 10, Tony. I, I think Horschel has a whole lot of top 25s this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that, that's fine. Good job. Uh, I don't feel great about his chances. Look, as the Spieth truther, I'd love to see it, but I, I just don't love Spieth on this course yeah. in this position surrounded by these guys this week. I agree with um, that. You know, that, that's, that's the one that makes me a, a, a little anxious, to, even though I'd love to put the money down and see him make a run. And for crying out loud, he could shoot 63 one day. It's just, is he going to give you four days relative to, to this crew? I, I'm not sure we're going to see that. Yeah, not not enough to to really jump. It doesn't seem based on on form. Now, I mean, uh, if you want to do the the Spieth truther thing, he does have a decent track record at this venue, and 
it's pretty apparent that caves did not capture his imagination. Um, yeah. he, he, he didn't seem particularly plugged in. It looked like a little bit of going through the motions. Yeah, uh, for 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 Speethy, but uh, you know who knows. Look, we 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 sp- we've spoken about Bryson ad nauseum on this pod, but we do have to. I mean, he gained eight strokes, more than eight strokes off the tee last week. Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how he performs after everything that we know that happened during that tournament, during you know the entirety of this summer. But then what KVV captured, you know happened to him as he was walking through the tunnel after he gave his hat to the kid. That really is the number one point of intrigue this week is how does he handle this? Because he's coming to a course where ostensibly the data says he's got the biggest advantage and and he's only a few shots behind. And I think that the experience that he's going to get this week is like the white glove. They're going to not only is there going to be you know, uh, prominent enough security. It's already the case. They don't, at, at least, you know, the first, the, the, the Friday, Saturday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when you watch this tournament, it's not packed down the fairways. No, it's like, it's, 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 it's lightly attended. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a polite event in, in Atlanta. Um, let, yeah. the, the only one that I recall uh, with any prominence um, in terms Tiger. of the size was Tiger. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and now you know with Monahan coming out today and saying that you can get thrown out for saying Brooksy, it's going to be very interesting to see how the crowd behaves itself. I think they're going to behave themselves. I do too. All right, my par saving pals, there you have it. Couple of good thoughts, hopefully, for earning a little uh, return on investment. The Tour Championship with only thirty guys, you know, you you only need uh, to hit on on one or two to make it profitable hopefully our thanks as always to kevin van valkenberg outstanding conversation with him about the beefy one himself and uh we shall be back nate and i with a recap of the tour championship but until then my eagle enthusiasts let's hit him straight out there This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.